Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Hey, Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Welcome to another edition of the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham, alongside Connor Morissette. We're going to talk to you all about this USC Trojan football team 3-0 heading into the first bye week of the uh, regular season for 2023. So we're going to talk about USC just dismantling Stanford, what they're kind of doing in the bye week. Looking forward to the rest of the Pac-12 schedule and a lot more. If you have any questions or comments for the show, uh, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address, so we love to get emails from you guys. You can also call or text us at 424-254-9141. And if you have the Apple Podcasting app on your phone, please uh, follow us over there. We haven't got a review for a few weeks, so please leave us a five-star review. That would help to grow the show. So get in there if you haven't done it for a while. We really appreciate that. Um, leave us a five-star Review over there, and if wherever you follow the, the podcast, thanks for doing that. And if you're watching us live on our YouTube channel, our YouTube uh, channel keeps growing, so thank you for that. We are broadcasting this one live a little early, 12.30 on a Wednesday, because USC's bi-week practice got moved up a little bit, so we moved up the podcast a little bit. We'll, uh, you know, Connor will be over there at practice a little bit later on today, uh, so thank you for tuning in live. If you have any questions and you're watching the live broadcast, I will you know, put a question in there, just a question at the first, and I'll star it, or any fun comments I will try to look at and uh, put them up on the screen as we are broadcasting live. You can also watch this uh, on YouTube later on if you're not catching us live. So, um, Connor, long preamble there. How are you doing, sir? Great. How are you? Good to be here. I'm good. Uh, I, you know, I talk forever. If I say, how are you doing? Don't say, how are you? Like, <laughs> give, me, give me a little something here. I got to clear it. I'm I'm doing well. Yeah. It, I mean, just kidding, buddy. On, no, it's okay. On Tunnel Vision Sunday night, I talked about how even though Stanford stinks, what USC did sort of raised my opinion of what their ceiling can be and a few days later, I still feel strongly about that. I think USC has shown through three games that they're just in a different class and I expect them to be there at the end of the season too. I think this team, they've gelled much quicker than I expected and my expectations have been raised. I think that's fair. No, I agree with you. Um, I, I think I was coming into the season fairly optimistic that they were going to be a playoff contender and that they were going to likely win the Pac-12, but it's a tough road. There are eight ranked Pac-12 teams right now. So the Pac-12 is even probably a little, little better than what I thought, uh, at least through the out-of-conference. This is going to be a crappy weekend. Um, really only bad things could happen, like if Washington loses to Michigan State or, you know, on the road or something. But outside of that, like, then you get into the conference play. That's what I've been kind of harping on the Pac-12 for doing for years is just win some of those big out-of-conference games. This year they are, and now you're going to be on a high. A lot of teams ranked. You don't get dropped down. So USC's road isn't going to be easier. But the way they've looked, you know, USC's never started a season with three straight 50-point games. You know That was pretty impressive. And you just look at the, 
the number of guys that are touching the ball, 12 reception, 12 different pass catchers in ever all of the games. And some of the leaders aren't the starters just because the backups are playing so much. It's not like you're coming out. You're not getting tested, but you're getting a lot of people opportunity. They do look better than I thought. I think the defense was, I thought it was going to be better. Some people were complaining after San Jose State. We'll see. They might still drop off. But the defense looks a lot better, too. And they didn't need to get a lot better. Just need to get a little better because they were so close last year with a bad defense. You might have like a pretty good defense, which is even, I guess, better than I thought. Something that's been interesting with the defenses, with all the transfers that have come in, that, of course, raised the expectations. But two returners have started really well, and I think they were guys who I definitely didn't expect to have this big of an impact, and I don't think USC fans did either. So Max Williams, he has locked down that second safety starting spot, it looks like, alongside Kalen Bullock, and he had his highest grade ever by Pro Football Focus last week against Stanford. He had the pick. He was great in coverage. He's looked really good to begin the year. And then Solomon Bird, a guy who was hurt and missed a lot of time in the offseason, Alex Grinch said, I'm not surprised he's doing this well, but he was a guy who has missed so much time, we weren't sure if we were going to be able to rely, rely on him. He called him the MVP of the USC defense so far. Bird had that violent strip sack of Ashton Daniels, the starting quarterback for Stanford, that sent him out of the game. So you're not only seeing big impacts from the guys you expected, but you're seeing some guys who maybe some fans had written off. I think that's fair to say. A lot of people were down on Max Williams heading into the year. They've performed really well, and I think that's an encouraging sign too. No, I agree with you there. It's certainly an encouraging sign. we got a picture, if you're watching on YouTube, of uh, Max Williams making a tackle there. Of course, he had that interception, which he would have loved to return for a touchdown. but <laughs> yeah, just um, got tripped up barely. Tripped up barely, but that's all right. Um, so we're going to get it. We're not going to talk too much about Stanford because I think we've, we've you know hashed through a lot of it. Uh, but kind of what, you know, a couple points maybe uh, beyond what we've already talked about. Um, and then, you know, sort of some of the bye week talk, what's going in here. There were some Trojans live appearances. We've got to go to practice yesterday. Here from Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch, some penalty talk and some explosive play talk. But there was a story that you put up today that I was, I, you know, full disclosure, I went down to the beach this morning, was playing some <laughs> volleyball. I deliver my meals on wheels. And since we're starting early, I had to like rush home, shower, and then get here, you know, grab some lunch and get here. And so I, I get a text from on our text thread and it's like, Oklahoma fans have entered the chat. I'm like, oh man, what happened now? So I didn't even see the story. I didn't know this interview was going on, uh, but we did get a YouTube comment from Jason. Interesting interview with Lincoln Riley and Graham Bessinger out today. Is that how you say his name? I think I don't know. I recognize his face, so I know. Oh, Bessinger. Yeah, he do, he does a great job. Um, but credit to Shotgun. Shotgun got a tip that this interview was coming out today, and he said, "Hey, you're going to want to look at this." So we got our story up really fast. And yeah, what Ryan's alluding to is Coach Riley talked about how when he resigned from Oklahoma to take the USC job, multiple people in Oklahoma broke into his house or tried to break into his house. Coach Riley just talked about how he didn't mind that his house was getting damaged, but he was really concerned with the safety of his family and that expedited the move to California. He was going to have his daughters finish out the semester at their school in Oklahoma, but with the break-ins, they ended up coming to California much faster. And that was one of the big takeaways. There were some other things in there as well, Ryan, but we can start with that. And as usual, Oklahoma fans, they're extremely passionate, but any negative headline, especially something like with Lincoln Riley, they're very touchy and they did not like this. So my mentions are going crazy on Twitter. I, I'm not even checking Twitter right now. It's just nonstop people saying, no, this isn't true. Liar. I don't think this happened. It's a mess on there. Yeah. And it's, I mean, 
people do this on our message boards too. Like our message boards, we have a lot of, uh, luckily, thank you to everyone out there. If you're not a VIP subscriber, jump over there and you can get 30% off right now or a dollar for your first month. We have a lot of subscribers. We've been doing this a long time. I really appreciate everyone that comes on there. But the majority of people are kind of lurkers. You know, they're just not posting all the time. There's a small percentage, like 10% that are posting a lot. And the people that are posting a lot, I think that's, that's the majority of the people and it's not. And I think when we see, you know, we, there's Oklahoma fans, obviously very passionate. There's some awesome fans. I know a lot of people that cover that team and like them all. Um, but there's going to be a small percentage of people that aren't, you know, they're going to be very loud and vocal. And they were certainly not happy that Lincoln Riley left. There was like a, you know, whatever. So this comes out and I, Lincoln Riley said in there that, you know, when 95% of whatever the fans are amazing, like that's awesome. There's just going to be a small percentage that, they're going to take things too far. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And, you know, that's, I, I think the, but those 5% of people that the ones that usually take things too far, they're taking the most exception to it, you know? And I think any fan base, you could say like, if someone does something dumb and there's a USC fan, you're like, all right, well, that's not the majority of USC fans, but there's going to be some that are idiots, just there's a certain percentage. And I think that's the kind of case here, but you're hearing from the small percentage that, that uh, isn't really happy about this. Yeah. And, of course, the break-ins are like the worst possible thing that could happen. Yeah. But this also plays into how Lincoln Riley discussed in Oklahoma. He's the guy. There's no, I mean, there's the Thunder, but there aren't really any other big teams there. He, Everyone cares about the Sooners. He's the guy who, when the team's doing well, everyone loves him. And when they're not doing well, he might get some, some glares at dinner. And then he said, coming out here, no one really looks at him when they go out to fancy restaurants every now and then. So yeah. I think that kind of plays into it, too. The, the the passion of the fan base has a lot to do with the fact that Oklahoma's the only team in town, really. No, I think that's that's a big part of it, too. And I, my Caleb Williams talked about that. You know, he won the Heisman Trophy. If he was still, he probably, they probably would have won it in Oklahoma, right? He's just that good. Like, they, the, you know, the offense was going to be really good. Um, and he wins the Heisman Trophy. He's the biggest thing in the state, right? Like he's as big as it gets. Um, and I've said this a number of times. He's not a top 20 sports star in Los Angeles. And I think he's starting to like get in there. But like you don't have Shohan Otani and Mike Trout and LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard and <laughs> Clayton Kershaw and like Mookie Betts. And like you could just keep going on, uh, you know, Aaron Donald. And there's so many dudes that are just bigger than Caleb Williams in Los Angeles, you know, in Southern California. And that makes it so he, his joke was like, he went to a restaurant and like literally Rihanna was sitting somewhere. Like they didn't care about him. They cared about that. So there's something to be said for like being in a bigger pond. Um, there's, there's great things about being a huge fish in a smaller pond, but there's also cool things about being a, a pretty big fish, but in a much bigger pond where you don't get as much attention. And I think, I think Lincoln Riley literally, I mean, he enjoys it. I'm not sure about Caleb Williams. I mean, he'd probably be fine wherever, but um, something to be said for having a little bit of privacy when you're in a much bigger place that's star-studded. So you're not the biggest star where in Oklahoma you would have been. And, and you know, I guess just different, there's different college towns versus big cities. There's there's great parts of both. But uh, yeah, that's that's one thing I think has been a common theme that, that Riley seems to enjoy, that he can be somewhat, you know, I mean, you were saying, no, who's Jack was saying, uh, Cliff Kingsbury was walking around campus and nobody was really even paying attention to him. And that guy looks like Ryan Gosling, you know? So it's like, <laughs> it's kind of funny. A few other things with the interview. 
So Coach Riley also talked about, he just turned 40. He said how when he's 50, he'd like to retire. So that's wow, okay. certainly noteworthy. And that made some some noise around uh, the, the peristyle like and other places. He also talked about how when he first got to USC, the parking spot they had for him was a five-minute walk from his office. And he was like, that's not going to work. I got to get a little closer. That was another funny part. And then there's a tour. You can have him give you a tour of his $17 million mansion. There's another video on the channel. So they certainly touched a lot of bases on this interview. I'm wow, surprised yeah. he, he uh, Benzinger, Ben Singer, I, I should ben know. Singer, ben, I think, yeah. ben Singer got this kind of access. It's a, it's, it's a whopper, all these videos. You can go on his channel. It's just Graham, Graham Bensinger is uh, the, the channel name, and his show is in-depth with Graham Bensinger, and he's got a lot of Lincoln Riley content up there right now. Yeah, I never even uh, heard of. I have to check some of that stuff out. But I want a tour. I want to I see that, the house, you know? Well, luckily, there's a five-minute video you can uh, watch next break. I'll check it out. <laughs> I got to check it out. I love, I mean, I love the PV and just going down there. I mean, it's just pretty and I've done hiking around there. I mean, I go fishing up around, you know, around the, uh, the coast there and play golf and, and yeah, PV is great. Um, but I've not been in a palatial mansion in PV. Um, don't have friends like in that tax bracket yet, but I need to get some. So yeah, yet uh, yeah. it's coming. We're working on it. I'm, I'm already past 50, so I can't retire like Lincoln's going to, but I'd love to do something like that too. Um, all right. Well, go, you go check it out. Connor got a great story up there and obviously it's getting a lot of attention. Um, but we also wanted to, I want to bring up uh, Herman says, uh, damn guys, are we really going for nine straight games? And yes. Uh, and I think we've talked about this before. The, the Lynn Swan um, UC Davis thing was actually two years ago when they were supposed to play that. And then, Mike Bone came in and fixed that situation. This one was a little different that um, there was going to be 12 straight games and USC and Mike Bone at the time went to the Pac-12 to look for a solution. So we got word from, this was, I guess, a year or two ago, people in the athletic department kind of reached out to us to let us know why this was the case. So the original schedule was 12 straight games. So the best sort of fix you could get was to do a week zero game and then have a little bit of a break. So you have a weird break after three games, you know, week three by is a little weird. Now USC does have an advantage if they make the Pac-12 championship game, because they'll have a bye before that. And that's a Friday game. So, you know, say, you know, Washington goes. So what's Washington's last game? Washington plays oh, the Apple cup or, or maybe Oregon because uh, Oregon state looks really good too. I mean, Washington state's ranked too. So either one of those, Say one of the Washington schools or the Oregon schools are the ones that are going to make it in against USC. They're going to play their big rivalry game or one of them, you know, Apple Cup or what was previously known as the Civil War on Saturday and then turn around on Friday and play in Vegas in the Pac-12 championship game where USC will have played and have Thanksgiving off and then go into the championship game with an extra week of rest. So there is an advantage if you're going to go all the way. But if not... Um, you got the nine straight weeks, which make it might make it tougher to go all the way. Uh, it's sort of the best that they could do. And from what we were told from the athletic department, um, that they, the PAC 12 tried to work with them as much as they could. The, the main issue being like that Notre Dame game, it's, it makes it hard to schedule to me. I think there's ways around this, but it's just was sort of USC and Stanford would always play early because they both played Notre Dame. I'm like, it seemed like you were punishing them for playing this great out of conference game, whatever, but 
this one this year wasn't the UC Davis thing. That was two years ago. So I, I think we had talked about that before, just to let people know. But this one was more of them trying to fix what was going to be a 12 straight week schedule. And this was kind of the solution they came up with. I'm confused. How do you have 12 in a row? You know what I mean? Like, what, they don't play... They weren't supposed to play week, week zero, and then you just rattle off 12 straight? It would be 12 straight. So they did this... It might have been 2017 when they won the conference, if I remember correctly. It was week one to week 12, week 13 by, and then championship game. So they they just never had a great solution for USC and Stanford being in different divisions, playing Notre Dame, and then trying to schedule it. To me, it was like, well, you should put the California schools all together in the same division. What I was told, the Pacific Northwest schools didn't want that because they wanted more access to games in California. That was a big sticking point for a lot of this, Connor, was that the, the Pac-12 was trying to keep like everybody happy instead of like, why are we punishing USC and Stanford for playing Notre Dame? Like That's going to be one of your most watched games of the year. Don't hurt them for doing this. And they were. They had to play, I mean, early games. But week two, you're playing USC and Stanford when they were both good. Like Things like that, I thought, were short-sighted from the conference. But a lot of it was to appease, from what I was told, Pacific Northwest schools that wanted to keep playing you know, more games in California for recruiting purposes and all of that. So that's definitely an issue. That makes total sense why USC and Stanford would be upset with that. Well, I'm sure Lincoln Riley's glad that they're not playing 12 straight games because you need a break in there. And even though it has worked out for USC in the past, like you mentioned, that, that's that's nuts. Yeah. It's definitely interesting. I think Jack said yesterday that USC is the only team in the country that's going to play nine games in a row. Nine, and it's nine power five yeah. games Yeah, okay, in nine, a row. nine power five yeah. games in a row. So. And I don't think anyone's playing nine games in a row anyway. I think any nine games in a row, because people have bye weeks. No one has a bye week this early. Um, well, USC does, but no no one normal. <laughs> no one, right? Uh, but it, it was one of those Pac-12 things. They're just like, you needed to accommodate your power brokers in this, and they didn't. And, uh, you know, just another one of those reasons why. But to be fair, the Pac-12 did work. What we were told, the Pac-12 worked with USC to come up with some kind of solution. This was the best thing they got. So that's why you got a bye week. <laughs> right when everything gets going. <laughs> 50 points a game, defense playing well, like take a break. Um, At least Mason Cobb can get healthy and the linebackers can get healthy. But, yeah, you'd rather have this later in the year. I'm going to ask Lincoln Riley on Thursday just about the early buy. He didn't. He talked really quickly yesterday. They had a meeting that was scheduled kind of late, so we couldn't ask him too many questions, and nothing really came up with him about the bye week. So I think that's an interesting question. You're the only team playing nine Power Five teams in a row. Does that put you at a disadvantage? And how, how do you change that from a disadvantage to what it looks like to us to an advantage? Maybe maybe there's something that we're not seeing that Lincoln Riley, the great football mind that he is, is seeing. Yeah, and uh, we had, did have a comment. Um, it was BYU canceling their matchup when they joined the Big Twelve. I don't, but I don't believe that was the case. I think BYU. This was from what I was told. I'll go back and look and, and double check, Cameron. But BYU didn't have a matchup that was canceled. I think they had a three game series that they played out. But BYU was part of the solution for the whole Pac twelve because being an independent sort of West Coast type of school. BYU could be inserted in there and you could play them and it would help with the scheduling, but they just weren't going to be doing it going forward. I don't believe there was a BYU game canceled, um, but I'll have to go back and double check that one. So I'll, I'll put some stuff in the war room uh, on that. So I'll go check it out. Um, and yeah, we're getting a lot of questions in the chat, 
box. So thank you guys uh, for doing that. We got a bunch of people. Um, nice. Uh, yeah, with, this is a little early, so I wasn't sure if we were going to have people uh, checking out the uh, the show. But yeah, we got like 105, 155 people. If you're watching on YouTube live, please hit the like button. Or if you've, or you're watching anywhere, hit the like button. Or wherever you're listening, like us. If there's if there's no like button, make one up. We love that. <laughs> Uh, that's good. We, uh, and we're doing, um, we just posted today. So we've done some partnership with house of victory, USC's, uh, you know, the collective that works with USC, they do great work. I've just been really impressed with their leadership and what they've been able to do in a short amount of time. And our first interview we did in conjunction with house of victory was with Taj Washington and he was great. And, uh, his no huddle kitchen, uh, sponsored by HelloFresh is up. His second episode, um, season two, episode one is up live. So I just wanted to give him a shout out. And uh, uh, he was our second guest. And Rajon Davis was our first guest. And then we'll have Damani Jackson on uh, on Friday. So we posted a thread on the Parasol if you want to have any questions for him, post in there. But it was cool to see uh, Taj doing his, doing his thing. He was great with us. It's awesome, too, that... HelloFresh is partnering with him on this venture. So now he's not only just doing the no huddle kitchen for fun, but he's turned it into a money-making opportunity, which that's what NIL is all about. So that was really encouraging to see. And I don't think I'll ever have a meal made by him, but I definitely want to after all I've heard about his cooking from Lincoln Riley on Trojans Live a couple weeks ago to getting Taj in person. He said he makes a ramen bowl when he doesn't really feel like making anything that's really good. I bet that tastes amazing. So that was cool. And they did a sweet potato or baked potato bar with the, with the team was the most recent thing he's cooked. That sounds good too. I'm kind of hungry for lunch. So all that sounds amazing. And it was just awesome to have Taj talk about it. And now here we are a couple of days later, he didn't mention the HelloFresh partnership, I don't think. So that's really cool to see that that's developed and he's getting paid a little bit to do these videos that he loves to do. Yeah, that is awesome for him. Uh, great NIL opportunities. And I think, um, House of Victory, they're doing a great job over there providing a lot of the stuff. And we appreciate them providing these interviews. And it's a great opportunity for these players to kind of tell their story outside of just like, hey, what's going on with the football team and everything. So that's pretty cool. Um, I got a reminder from Nick. He says, not only am I watching on YouTube, Ryan, but I'm watching from inside my local Trader Joe's. Perfect. Because <laughs> I didn't mention Trader Joe's from the very beginning. So, Nick, thank you for that. Uh, yeah, thanks to our sponsor, Trader Joe's. Um, and we have someone, Nick actually watching the show live from Trader Joe's. Uh, if you go over to TraderJoe's.com, their Fearless Flyer comes out. It just came out yesterday. So the the fall one is always great. The headline is Pumpkins and Apples and Maple. Oh, my. So uh, I love pumpkins. Uh, I love pumpkin pie. I love all that stuff. I love apple. They got these apple cider donuts up there that look really good. And I'm a big maple guy. So um, a lot of cool stuff up there over at TraderJoe's.com. If you like kind of fall, um, fall stuff, uh, I do. I'm a fall guy. Be, you know, being from, both Connor and I from New England, I lived in Pittsburgh too when I was a little kid, but changing the leaves and everything, not that I miss it, but it's cool when you're there. But I just, I didn't like winter and all that stuff, but fall's pretty cool when the leaves change and everything, so. Fall is my favorite season. You don't really get much of a fall out here, but no. that Notre Dame game, on the road during fall, October 14th, I think. I'm really looking forward to that because we'll definitely experience fall on that game. And Ryan, while we're on the subject of NIL, yes, Caleb Williams does his podcast called Almost Pro USC Football, and that's through the Tommy Group, which is another, which is another NIL group that supports USC. And I listened to my first one last night. They've done three. It's 
very similar to Draymond Green's podcast where he plays a game on the Warriors and then he'll talk about it after and no one's interviewing him. He's the host. Caleb Williams is the host of this podcast. And the one from yesterday with Brendan Rice and Jamil Muhammad, I thought was great. They talked about how Brendan Rice on the 75-yard touchdown connection, he, he was joking with Caleb, I had to slow down a little bit. The throw wasn't perfect. And Caleb talked about how Lincoln Riley was maybe thinking about changing the play and Caleb Williams just ignored him because he wanted to <laughs> that was very funny. To, to go through with that anyway. So I know we have a ton of content on uscfootball.com. So while you're done listening to all of those, our podcast, Composite Two Star Recruits, Helium Boys, definitely check out Almost Pro USC Football too because it gives a really good perspective. A lot of times when you talk to Caleb Williams, he's sort of buttoned up a little bit with the media. But yeah. when he's with his teammates and can just kind of relax, you get that inside scoop that – I think a lot of fans will really find interesting, and I know I did. I'm excited to catch up on the other two episodes, too. Yeah, I think there's – I mean, part of the cool thing about NIL is, like, these players can tell their own story. For a guy like Caleb Williams, he can do his own thing. Um, but for, um, you know, some of these other guys, I think that there's great opportunities for Taj to sort of just, like, relax and talk about his cooking and all the stuff going on instead of, like, in a five-minute interview after practice in a – longer form uh, format. So this is great. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure other players are going to start their own podcasts. Uh, I mean, uh, Mo Hassan was doing one um, before for USC, one of the backup USC quarterbacks, but, you know, more prominent players doing things. And uh, there's a gr- lot of great opportunities for stuff like that. You can get sponsored, um, you know, Taj Washington doing his own show. Like this, this is great. I mean, stuff like this is it's very cool that players can do these kind of things. So I do think, too, that as USC, if they have the season we think they're capable of, that podcast is going to get really popular when they're playing in bigger games. More people are watching. And if Caleb has a great game, I, I'm sure that the viewership will just go up. It's also really interesting. I wonder if they'll continue to do this. Say Caleb does leave and goes to the NFL after this year, which this week we've heard some reports from his dad that they maybe won't. I'll believe it when I see it, but say he does go, maybe the next USC quarterback does something like this and it becomes a thing down the line. I know I'd be interested in hearing the USC quarterback host a podcast after Caleb Williams is gone. And I bet a lot of fans would too. Yeah, for sure. Um, a comment from HR picking stuff. I uh, love that. <laughs> HR. I mean, that's such a good one. This week's football schedule sucks. Yes, yeah, it does. It's, it's bad. Um, someone's Ohio state. Notre Dame is not this weekend, right? No. That's a, yeah. So that's no, it would not suck if that game was going on. Big new kickoff is doing some other game, but they're still coming. The studio is going to be in Boulder again, three weeks in a row. They'll just <laughs> they'll just do twelve straight weeks in Boulder, which could be worse places as far as you know. Ralphie and like Colorado not even playing there. Like I just go um, following. I guess they've been following Colorado. They went to TCU. Uh, they weren't in in Boulder, you know, but they've been in Boulder two weeks. Um, I mean, I don't see why you wouldn't go to Eugene and. You know, I will see. I guess they're going to do Ohio State, Michigan or something. But, I mean, uh, Ohio State, Notre Dame, maybe. But when USC goes to Boulder, like, you're probably going to see them there, too. It's funny. Game day is going to be there. There's just not a lot going on. So, you might as well, like, hit your wagons to the Dion train or the Dion horse or whatever, if you want to say, uh, when there's not much else going on in college football. This weekend, I've come up with my plan. So, Washington plays at Michigan State. Two o'clock. I haven't had a chance to watch a ton of Washington so far this year, so I'm interested in that game. Of course, there's all kinds of crap going on with Michigan State, so I wonder what their product will look like. But I think it's a true road game against a Power 5 team for Washington. You can definitely take stuff away from that. And then maybe go out to dinner, do something nice, early dinner, because Arizona State is hosting Fresno State at 730, and I'm interested in uh, that game as well, because I think 
Obviously, USC plays them, and I just want to see how Arizona State fares with their really, really banged up offensive line. Will they be able to block anyone? Yeah, this is sort of, I mean, we talked about this before. Two overmatched opponents to begin the season, and then the first three Pac-12 opponents are all brand new head coaches. And Arizona State might look the worst of anybody. I mean, Stanford looked really bad by USC, but Arizona State beat an FCS school by three. Um, you know, they, they don't look amazing under Kenny Dillingham to, to, to right away. Obviously, Stanford, uh, you know, they got trucked. This could be another sort of like walkthrough kind of game. Um, Arizona State being bagged up a little bit. It is on the road, so we'll see. But then Colorado is going to be better than we thought. We thought Colorado would be like, yeah, they'll be like, you know, three and nine or four and eight or something. Um, but no, they're going to be a lot better. Uh, still probably overmatched for USC, but that one will be at least feistier. But that that might be the first sort of test that USC gets if Arizona State just isn't going to be. We'll see. Maybe they'll play better at home, but they just haven't played very well. And then they had the haboob for week one with the FCS school and they scored three points in the second half. So maybe give them a pass on that, but they didn't look all that great last week. Um, I think they went like one of five on fourth down conversions. Like they, I mean, they, I think they only had like one turnover, but if I'm remembering correctly, but yeah, one of five on fourth down, they just, it just wasn't, uh, it just wasn't their day. And so another offensive lineman goes down. This might be a sort of USC gets to see Caleb Williams on the bench for a lot of the second half again. Yeah, it will all depend on the offensive line's health because if they don't have the bodies that they were expecting, you need a good offensive line against USC. We've seen that so far this week. So, yeah, that'll be an interesting game to watch. Fresno State had a tough time with Eastern Washington after beating Purdue. I think they might have put all their eggs in the Purdue basket and kind of didn't have a lot of juice left against Eastern Washington. So I expect them to play better against Arizona State. So, yeah, and on Colorado, Ryan, do you get any similarities between Colorado this year to USC last year? New coach, new quarterback, rock star coach, offense is good, defense isn't that good, ton of transfers, a lot of differences, but the way Colorado started, it has to remind you a little bit of USC last year, at least it does for me. I think there's more parallels than I anticipated. Yeah, me too. Um, certainly a different style. Like, there's Lincoln Riley's kind of yeah, like definitely the, a different style he's an x and o's guy like he's i sort of like um usc hasn't had like a, you know you you want someone that's like super really good like whatever they do you do really well like usc had hired clay helton who wasn't really known as a great quarterback coach or offensive coordinator but he still gets the you know so if you're that you got to be like a ceo and like this charismatic guy you know i'm not sure like dion's X is an O, like if he's known for like drawing up great defenses, I, I'm not even, you know, we haven't heard much about it, but obviously he's a leader of men, the charisma, the football smarts, the, I mean, he does everything right as a head coach. Like you're making the right hires, you're pushing the right buttons, you're making the right high level decisions. He's doing all those kind of things. Like then Riley's known as like, he was a great offensive coordinator and became a great head coach. And a lot of it, you know, his, his, you know, a game is calling an offense and winning Heisman trophies. And you can say, well, there's deficiencies here or there, but he's obviously very good at that. We're seeing now Deion Sanders, like he's so good at um, rebuilding. Like he's definitely had two rebuilding projects and they've both gone swimmingly, like pretty much right away and making good hires, 
uh, recruiting really well. Like there's things he just does amazing. And yeah, I, I'm, I'll be curious to see, like, I don't think they're going to win 11 games or anything, but to go from one and 11, like USC was four and eight, but they had enough talent to be seven and five. Like they were, that was terrible coaching and firing a coach like two, you know, two games in, I think to go from four and eight, which was a soft four and eight to like 11 wins is a, a big jump. And I feel like Dion can get an equivalent sort of like, you know, adjusted for inflation jump with Colorado, um, which would be like one and 11, like one of the worst teams you've ever seen to like a bowl team. And I would, I would put it on par with like what Lincoln Riley did last year because Colorado was so bad. And the, the rebuilding project was even deeper where Lincoln Riley did stuff that a lot of pe- teams have never done before. And then, you know, Dion, Coach Prime's like, hold my beer. I'm going to do something that no one's ever seen. So, yeah, I think long answer, but I think there's some some real parallels there. What's fascinating, too, is they use the transfer portal like no other team taking so many players in. Yeah. And you have to say it's worked, even if they lose some games that maybe they should win in the future. Remember the talk before the season? Everyone was like, anonymous college coach, this could be the worst team in the history of college football. Maybe that's a stretch, but people were saying that this was not going to work. A lot of coaches were quoted anonymously saying, this is going to be a dumpster fire. This is bad. Don't don't buy the hype. I mean, I bet on them under three and a half wins. I, I looked at all the, the people yeah. saying that, and I thought, okay, that's probably, if coaches are saying that, I, I, I guess. And now... Shitter Sanders is mocked as a first-round quarterback by yeah. by Mel Kuyper. So you're telling me they had a first-round quarterback and people are saying that? Really interesting, just the disconnect between people thinking this was going to fail and Coach Prime proving everyone wrong. I, I hope that doesn't get lost because people are still doubting them, and that's fine. But even if you're a doubter, they did way better than anyone expected. Oh, 100%. And, and you have to acknowledge that, even if you think they're going to crash, come down a little bit in the future, you have to acknowledge that they've been way better than people thought. I, I said 2-10. and ten. Um, Yeah, so and did I. completely wrong. You watch one game, like, okay, they're going to make a bowl. And so... The receivers are nasty. I love those guys. They're, like, I watched their spring game, and then there were some dudes that they got rid of after the spring game, and I'm like... <laughs> So I was like, I didn't doubt that he could be a great coach. I just thought this year was going to be like just tough, you know? And so far it hasn't been. Now, and people are like, well, TCU is not that good. Like it doesn't matter. Like doesn't matter. They, they looked, they were the better coach team. They played TCU and Nebraska. It was clear that they were a better coach team. This was a team took the undermanned team to the national championship game. So, you know, uh, the TCU, they can do it, right? Like they can, they can coach him up. Coach Prime made him look bad, and I feel like he's you know the what he was able to do in the portal. I thought the line play would be tough, uh, but they found you know they got serviceable guys. Yeah, the defense is probably not great. I don't know about Travis Hunter playing 120, 130 snaps every game, but you know it's it's working so far. I had someone message me because I said like he did that in the the Texas Heat, and then he did it at altitude. But I, I had someone that texted me from Boulder, and like, if you've been here long enough, like, it's not doesn't affect you anymore. So I guess if he played a lot of games in Boulder, it was flying in, but he's, he lives there, so it's not going to be as difficult. But it's amazing what they've been able to do. Just sort of like projecting, like, okay, well, I think it's going to be a rough year, and then they're going to turn it around. Like, that's what I thought. They turn around right away. So it's pretty amazing uh, what he's done. And it also shows they use the transfer portal to a crazy degree. But using the transfer portal really fast, it might not get you into the college football playoff or competing for conference championships in year one. 
but it can improve your floor drastically. And I think now people are getting up to speed with that. We saw Texas State had that big win the first week of the year. I forget who they played, but they used a big transfer portal haul to, to beat the team that they beat. It was a big upset. It was a Power 5 team. I'll look it up here in a second. So I think a lot of writers and national people are like, yeah, okay, adding so many people from the transfer portal means your roster isn't very good and it'll take some time to gel. And while that is true, it improves you drastically right away we're seeing this year. And I think into the future now, it won't just be Lincoln Riley, Deion Sanders, maybe Dabo Sweeney will never change his ways, but we'll see more people take more transfers because I think that's the way to win. And we're seeing it now more than ever. Yeah. And I just, uh, Roger said yawn in the chat. <laughs> this doesn't have to be a Colorado show, but yeah, I think, we are. I think USC is going to throttle time. Colorado, right? I think I think USC is going to go in there, and I think Oregon will probably beat them pretty bad. At, but it'll be great for USC. I, I if, think Oregon will play them close. I actually think. Okay, yeah. we'll see. Um, if 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 or if Colorado goes to Oregon and wins, that's going to make the USC Colorado game like freaking unbelievable. So I think you want to root for that. But like HR Pickett stuff says, Colorado can't run the ball. They average fifty four yards rushing. Um, they definitely one, have holes. 1.6 yards per carry. They can't stop the run, giving up 254 yards per game. Uh, once they meet balanced teams, the running game will matter. The it, Here's my point. The, the fact that you're picking stuff that's wrong with Colorado shows how far they came. They were losing by 32 points a game last year. I mean, it was... They were not even, you could have said any stat. And they were getting... The, so, yes, they're not going to be a perfect team. They're going to be flawed. But they're playing well. They're going to play to their strengths, and I do think USC will be able to run the ball on them. And, and um, you know that's that's going to be fine. I, I think USC is going to handle Colorado, but it is still a great story, and it's good for USC because that game is going to get that's going to be probably the most watched game USC has, you know, in the first half of the season. Like when they go to Notre Dame, if Notre Dame's undefeated and USC is going to Oregon, Washington at home, like depending on the situation. But early in the season, that'll be the most watched USC game. And it won't even be close. So it's this is kind of relevant for all that. But I guess we don't need to talk about Colorado much more. Do we want to get into more USC? I have a thought that's been marinating in my head. Yeah, like uh, let's pull it out of the fridge and uh, get it on the grill. <laughs> what do we got? So just looking at the coaching angle of everything, and I've talked about how USC is better than I thought, it, it seems like some of these good teams in the conference with new coaches have to play catch-up to Lincoln Riley and USC more than I expected because USC, they've gelled, like I said. I'm interested. So Dan Lanning had all the success as Georgia's defensive coordinator. He's in year two as a first-time head coach. It's kind of a prove-it year for him. I'm excited to see what he looks like going into this gauntlet of the Pac-12. And then Kalen DeBoer has had success as a head coach everywhere he's gone. I'm excited to see him. He's never had that top-level success like a college football playoff team. I mean, he was at Fresno State and Sioux Falls, which is an NAIA team before, so it's not like he's had the chance. But you can have questions about him because he's inexperienced and hasn't done it before. Lincoln Riley, the fact that he's guided Oklahoma to the playoff before, I think is huge. And obviously, USC has a big leg up on the coaching in the Pac-12 because Riley's such a good coach. But some of these guys are small question marks because they haven't done it before. They're inexperienced and they're playing catch up to a USC program that right now is rolling and they have a coach who has a lot of experience. So I think the coaching, how that all plays into the USC ceiling and what they can do this year is interesting. Oh, I think you're right uh, about that. Um, bye week is a time you can sort of reflect a little bit. Uh, we did hear from not Lincoln Riley on Trojans Live, but we heard from Alex Grinch. Uh, we heard from Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch on Tuesday. I wanted to kind of shift to some of the stuff that was said there and anything that stood out to you uh, 
I think for Lincoln Riley talking about the penalties, he wasn't very happy about it. Uh, I think he was asked about aggressive penalties versus like bonehead penalties. I forget what the word that was used. And he was like, there's no room for, you know, whatever. I forget what bonehead penalties or silly penalties or sloppy penalties. He's fine with aggression. He said like teams that um, usually are ranked high. Like you see the kind of the, the teams with the worst records have like the fewest amount of penalties. They're not being that aggressive. He likes that aggression. If you're doing that, your better teams do. Pete, the Pete Carroll years, like they were getting all kinds of penalties and they're winning lots of games and you're okay with those, a lot of those, but you don't. And I thought it was interesting that he was like, you don't want, we have enough guys that if you're going to make silly penalties, you're going to sit, you know? And I don't think they had the luxury of doing that last year, but maybe we'll start with kind of what Lincoln Riley said about that or anything else. Sure. Sure. To, to respond to that, he talked about how there isn't a player in the world in his eyes who is good enough to overcome the dumb penalties. If you're committing dumb penalties, you're not going to play. I thought that was interesting. They talked a lot about Alex Grinch and Lincoln Riley, Tackett Curtis and Damani Jackson this week. It seems like Grinch is still really high on Tackett Curtis. And he, he, he used the word leash and then said, I shouldn't use that word, but he said it. He thinks the leash is pretty long for Curtis when the game is a blowout, but it's he seemed to indicate to me that he thinks even in these games against better opponents, they they still believe in Tackett Curtis, and even though he's made some freshman mistakes, they're willing to give him a decently long leash to, to prove himself because he's played so well in practice, and I think he's their recruit that plays into it as well. So I've seen a lot of talk on the peristyle. Tackett Curtis is clearly not the guy right now that we need him to be. Play Rajon Davis, play Eric Gentry more, do what you got to do. Curtis isn't ready. It looks like the staff is, is set on playing him, and then I had a Damani Jackson thought, but Ryan, you can... Uh, answer any Tackett Curtis thoughts that you have before we get to um, that. Damani Jackson thought. I like it. Uh, yeah, that was – he's – with the way we've been doing this for a while, or at least, you know, I felt on this USC football side, when there's a recruit that people uh, sort of put your arms around and you're not sure if you're going to get them and then you, you know, USC gets the recruit, people really want that recruit to do well because they put they put a lot of stock into – the recruitment and Taka Curse was one of those guys. Like I got, you mentioned, Damani Jackson, and you want to see him out there. And the fact that he was starting, you know, and getting a, a lot of run, I think that's great for a true freshman. But it's also nice to have the luxury of having more dudes there and having a couple of veteran leaders like Shane Lee and uh, Mason Cobb. And you know, he he learns a lesson by getting the targeting penalty and getting ejected from the game. And I feel like these are all great opportunities for him to sort of learn where you're not relying on him. And if, if there is another targeting penalty, then, you know, Alex Grinch can sit him for a while and you don't have to, you know, well, there's no other person we have to, you know, it's, you're okay with uh Rajon Davis coming in or Shane Lee and they, all those guys, I think have proven himself to be pretty good so far. Um, so it's, it's been interesting to kind of see, you don't need to force feed him. Um, and I feel like the, like what Grinch was talking about is like the leash you, you have a luxury of getting him playing time, but also knowing that he can be that it can be taken away, like a you know punishing your kid or whatever. Not <laughs> punish, you don't want to say it's punishing, but you know, hey, if you you put your hand in that cookie jar again after dinner, like you're going to bed early. And um, sometimes parents don't have that. They, I don't know. They might not have like the ability to like sort of dish out any sort of punishment that they feel is effective. And there's playing time is the biggest one here. And I don't know if you're saying it's punishment per se, but it's like, hey, you got to learn to do this. You got to do this well. And if you don't, we got other people that can play. 
So I, I feel it's a really good situation for him where they obviously like him. He can get into games. And if it's just if he's just not ready or if he's making some mistakes, uh, he can sit on the bench and watch other guys come in and do what the coaches want him to do. So it's it's an interesting situation for sure. With Damani, it's really similar too. He didn't play a whole lot last year coming back from a knee injury this year, starter. And it's obvious the staff believes in his potential. And what Alex Grinch said yesterday was just he needs reps. He needs competitive reps. He needs to play a lot. So I think this kind of goes back to what we talked about after the San Jose State game, Ryan, where I was like, yeah, can he be out there if he's making these mistakes? We saw him make another mistake against Nevada. The staff, how they would respond to that is yes, because his ceiling is really, really high. And the only way for him to reach that ceiling is to keep playing. It seems like they're playing a delicate balancing act between getting him boundary corner reps and getting Christian Roland Wallace boundary corner reps. Something has to give, I think, going forward. But it's going to be difficult for Jackson unless he really starts messing up to lose that spot because I think in the long term the staff as a five-star guy and as they should really believes in him and thinks he has a chance to reach that ceiling he just needs to play a lot so I thought that was an interesting development too yeah uh, I want to give a shout out to Blessing Breaks right over there it's five fourteen in the morning wow Thursday and Seoul uh he's in Korea so uh a lot of international listeners last couple of weeks I love this I love this stuff um it's great so thank you for uh watching us so early in the morning over there uh, in Korea. I've not been to Korea. I want to go. I've been to Japan, been to Singapore, the Philippines, but I've not been to Korea yet. I've never been to Asia. Definitely oh. on the bucket list. So that it's up there. You got to go check it out. Yeah. Um, sweet. All right. Uh, anything else from sort of the media stuff that we've had this week? Uh, I mean, the penalty stuff was interesting. You know, I don't know. It's, it's just sort of, it's interesting that they're going to do a regular what appears to be a regular week. I thought they might give some guys some time off. They moved practices up a little bit early. Same media availability. We're getting a, a Lincoln Riley Zoom on Thursday, which I'm not sure, you know, do we really need that one? I mean, it's good to any opportunity we get to to uh, talk with the head coach is great. But, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of treating this like a regular week, it seems like. I do think they have Thursday, Friday, Saturday off based on what I heard on the Caleb Williams podcast last night think that's what he said. So they have some time off and they talked about how it's Anthony Beaver's birthday and there's going to be a birthday party for him Friday. So nice time to have a birthday during the bye week. That's cool. Yeah. I also thought it was interesting. So Alex Grinch said Jalen Smith has been playing at a different level from where he was last year. And Lincoln Riley talked a lot about in the offseason how they weren't happy with the production from the nickel spot. It looks like they're really happy with it this year. And it looks like Jalen Smith is the guy. I would be really interested to see if for whatever reason a backup needs to come in. It looks like Christian Pierce has been playing more backup nickel than Christian Roland Wallace has. I imagine if Smith isn't able to go in a bigger game, a bigger situation, Roland Wallace, who's listed as the backup on the depth chart, would come in instead of Christian Pierce. I just think it's interesting. I thought nickel would be a spot they'd experiment a lot, try to get more out of. It looks like they're really happy with Jalen Smith. I think he's played the second most snaps defensively out of anyone on USC behind only Kalen Bullock so far this year. They really like him, and he's another guy who I think some fans maybe wrote off a little thinking, okay, he wasn't great last year. We got to upgrade. Christian Roland Wallace looked like the logical upgrade. Credit to Jalen Smith for fighting for his job, winning it again this year, and playing well so far. He led the team in tackles. I think he leads him on the season, and I don't know if he did this past week, but he led him the first two weeks. Yeah, the first two. Okay, yeah. I don't remember if he did for Stanford or not, too. But, um, yeah, so shout out to him. But there, there's – I mean, there's. I think the common theme is there's just more depth. There's more dudes that 
last year, if like Christian Roller Wallace comes in, you're like, okay, he's the starter or whatever it is. Well, I thought, remember we did the top 30 most important Trojans, the show with Chris when I first started. And we were talking all about how, okay, Christian Roller Wallace, and I I said this, so not we, I said, he didn't come here to sit on the bench. He came here to play. And if the staff really wants Damani and Sierra Wright as their two corners, okay, Christian Roller Wallace, he has to play nickel. And what's happened is he's been rotating in at boundary corner because Smith has been so good at nickel. Smith looks like one of the defensive MVPs. I think Bear Alexander, Kalen Bullock are that first tier. If, if they're out for any reason, you're really in trouble. But I think Smith's on that second tier because he's made the nickel position in his own. And just looking at how much he's played, it's clear the staff loves what they've seen. Yeah, for sure. Um, I want to mention uh, Bear uh, Alexander because the stat line isn't there, but the impact is just to be a disruptor in the middle of that, you know, front defensive front that he just makes things happen. And because he can push the action to, you know, beyond the line of scrimmage, it allows, I think a lot of other people to be able to make plays. If it's, you know, bird or Muhammad or whoever coming around and getting a sack or whatever, I think a lot of it has to do with, Bear Alexander and and I think Shaka was talking about this too. He's not getting like a ton of PFF love, but if you kind of wrote down what you'd like his position to do, I'm sure Alex Grinch would be you know very happy with just watching the film. Like man, he's just he's not getting you know big tackles for loss or but he's making he's making it easier for everyone else. It seems like one stat that he does lead the team in is total pressure. He has twelve okay. pressures and Solomon Bird has ten. He's not getting the PFF love because for whatever reason they have him as not a great tackler, which I don't think that's really fair when you're facing double teams. It's really hard to tackle guys, but you know, they grade tackling the way they grade tackling. So just the reason he's not getting the PFF love is because of his his tackling grade. It's pretty low. Defensively, though, he's at a 74.4 overall. He made the top six for the Nevada game, I believe, because yeah, he he messed up against San Jose State. So that would make sense. He has gotten a little bit, and 74.4 is well above average. 60 is average. He is playing really well, and the the pressure stat shows up. Leading the team from the interior on the defensive line, that's hard to do. You'd expect an edge player like a Bird or Muhammad, who are second and third respectively, with 10 and 9 pressures to lead the team. But Barry Alexander doing it from the middle of the defense, that says a lot and speaks to what you're saying, Ryan. Yeah. All right. Well, why don't we do this? Let's take a quick break. we got a bunch of questions to get to, unless there's anything else you wanted to... uh... Touch on Connor. Okay, we'll take a quick break. This has gone longer than I thought. I thought it was like, ah, you know, by week, there's not going to be much to talk about, but there always is stuff to talk about. So we love doing it. Okay, back in a minute, everybody. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Uh, let's start off with a voicemail. I'll play it for you and uh, get your thoughts, Connor. Hi, uh, Ryan. Joe from Boston checking in. Elated to see Dan uh, on the uh, instant analysis. Hope he's hanging around out there so he can do some more. Uh, I realize he's retired. If he goes back to Kentucky, if you can have him on once in a while, uh, regularly, it would be a great treat for uh, us fans. Also, Jack does a great job as well. Very professional. Anyway, thank you, and uh, keep up the good work, and please give my best wishes to Dan and Jack. Thank you. <laughs> Neither of us, Connor, but that's okay. Hey, that's it's okay. A-, a win for the staff is a win for us, right? <laughs> that's good. Yeah, so Dan's been doing regular columns again. He was out at the last game and got to do instant analysis after the game for, for Stanford. First time in three years that he had gone to every practice at every game and um, so it was good for him to kind of be back out there again. It was good to sit next to him literally in the press box. USC's up 49 to three or whatever. And like Stanford might've got a first down and he's sort of like complaining, like, what are they doing? And I'm like, <laughs> like, Dan, chill a little bit. Like it's, it's 49 to three. Like if they give up a first down, that's okay. Uh, but it was really good. It's been a while since I got to sit next to Dan in the press box and sort of like hear him talk about stuff. He definitely has his own point of view and everything. It's great. Learning yeah. about history from him has been awesome. His columns are really detailed with some historical stuff that I, as a newer guy, didn't know. Talking with him, we walk back to our cars together after the game. What a guy who I hope comes to more games because I just want to learn from him more. You know, he, he, I want to be a sponge around him and just everything he says. I think after spending 19 years not missing a game or a practice, he knows the ins and the outs of the program. Definitely a guy who, you know, me being new is, is someone I want to align myself with and and learn from because that guy knows his stuff. Yeah, for sure. Uh, We got an email, and I don't have the um, author, so my apologies, but it says, Hello, everyone. USC has nine regular season games to go right now on Sunday, Sunday, September 7th, so when they wrote this. At 5.30 p.m., at this exact moment, USC will play six teams that are in the top 25. All those teams are undefeated. That's incredible. Fight on. Um, Yes. And so, Connor... Uh, had a, a pretty, you know, what uh, a take I didn't agree with, which I still agree with. So let's 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 get back. To we'll that. go back. Yeah. So say let's we'll just remove everyone else. There's only one spot left in the college football playoff. Now I'm going to get a bunch of hate, everyone. So at C underscore Morris said on Twitter, put it in the chat. Whatever you got to do. Texas is undefeated. Just beat Alabama. Big game. USC is undefeated. The only one spot left. I would have USC ahead of them. Part of the reason being this is like they still have all these great teams that they get to play and Texas has like Oklahoma left. So they don't really have the big 12 has been down beaten up by the PAC 12 uh, early in the season. So to me, like Texas has got the big win right now, but by the end of the season, USC will have more of them. That nine straight games, six of those teams are, are undefeated right now. So that would have been my argument. I get it. I, I, I do. And I think people got mad because I mentioned maybe USC would be left out. If both are undefeated, they're both making the playoff. I think something crazy would have to happen 
where one of them gets left out. So I, I don't think we need to talk about one of them getting left out or not. I just think winning at Alabama, I don't expect Alabama to really fall off that much more after after this game. I still think they're really good. They have the highest number of blue chip recruit percentage, whatever. But but Elliot does a, a great job with that. I didn't explain it very well um, in the whole country. So it's a nice win. Winning or a great win, not a nice win. Winning on the road at Alabama, unless huge you beat jo- Georgia oh, on the road, win. I don't know if you can have a better victory. So that stands out to me. And I just wonder what this ranked wins will look like at the end of the year for USC because all these Pac-12 teams, they play each other, so they won't have seven or eight ranked wins, I don't think. I think some people will beat each other. People will fall out. I'm interested to see what Notre Dame does as the year goes on. That looks like a great game right now. Will it be down the line? And yes, you could say the same thing about Alabama. I get your point, Ryan. Just think if Texas is undefeated and they've beaten Alabama on the road, that's a really good win, and I, I don't know if USC would have a win that would rival that. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, the Notre Dame one has a potential. At Oregon has that potential. Washington at home. They they have all these potential ones, but it depends how things sort of uh, fall out. But, like, you're looking at Georgia. I think Alabama, too. Like, they don't have ranked teams on their schedule until November. Um, having the SEC be three and six against Power Five opponents and, like, a couple of the wins being, like, you know, Arizona, like, in overtime. And um, it's... It's it's rough going. I mean, Georgia's not going to get left out, but their schedule, if, if it was just, if you didn't know that they had won the last two national championships, their schedule wouldn't have been up there because they just don't play that many good people until potentially the uh, the SEC championship a game. Um, and I feel like the, the Big 12 has been getting a lot of love, but they've been taking it on the chin, you know, losing like Wyoming and, um, you know, the, the Pac-12 has been getting the better of the Big 12. And this is what sort of hurt the Pac-12 for years they lost those early season games. So yeah. What if Oregon's really good? Well, they lost by 50 to Georgia to start the season. Like that didn't happen this year. They won their first like 18 games or something, Um, you know, and some big wins against ranked teams, Uh, you know, even like a Washington state beating a Wisconsin um, pretty badly. So that it sets up pretty well that a lot of these teams will be good by the time USC plays them. And you weren't even expecting like the Colorado win to be a good win. But that's going to probably be a good win if they get that win, right? Um, now it's tougher too because, like, you could. I don't think you were. It was possible to lose to Colorado, but now it is. Like now, you could lose to Colorado, um, but it's still a, a good win too. But yeah, we'll see. I wonder too. USC plays a lot of late games in the Pac-12. I think if they beat more ranked teams in Texas and they just look better, do they deserve to be in ahead of Texas? Absolutely. Part of my argument also comes down to the committee and the East Coast or Midwest bias, whatever you want to call it. I know the Pac-12, it has eight ranked teams, the most ever right now. I wonder if the fact that it's folding, will that give people on the committee, will that mean, okay, I'll, I'll you know, the Pac-12, we got to pay attention to it this year because it's going away. Will, will they have more sticking, staying power, I guess is the word I'm looking for. I think for. they're going to get the benefit of the doubt yeah. because everyone knows they're going away. You feel bad. Yeah, like. will they get the benefit of the doubt when in the past they have it? I'm still not sure about that. Yeah. Thank you for succinctly making that argument for All me. All right. <laughs> uh, we got one from Jack in New Jersey. He said, no question, just a comment. Wow, now that's how you play football. I had relapsed into my post-Clay Helton-induced PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, after the second Utah and Tulane games. After Saturday night, I feel I can safely throw away my Prozac and Valium. (laughs) This is what happens when you hire an exceptional coach. To paraphrase Eddie Murphy from the movie 48 Hours, there's a new sheriff in town, and his name is Lincoln Riley. Fight on, Jack from New Jersey. I don't remember Eddie Murphy saying Lincoln Riley's name, but (laughs) 
I, I haven't seen the movie for a while. Great email. I was an email, right? It was an email, yes. I would urge all USC fans who were sick of Clay Helton and aren't fully back in with the team yet, get back in. This year is going to be a lot of fun. Caleb Williams might have one of the best seasons of all. I, I think he will have one of the best seasons of all time, and it'll depend on how much he plays, I guess, maybe early in the year to see where all time he ranks, because if he keeps sitting out in these games, then he might not be able to break some records. But Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams, this is a special, special pairing. And even if the defense disappoints fans down the stretch, you need to be watching this, because I don't know if USC will have another quarterback as good as Caleb Williams in my lifetime, and I'm 28. Yeah. No, it's, college football night might not see one. So. Yeah, so you, you if, if you're on the fence... You gotta watch this season. Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley are the big reason why. And in the you know the best case scenario is they are playing for something really significant at the end of the year. I think yeah. they have that potential. I think so. All right, let's go to some YouTube questions. Thanks for everyone that put your questions uh, in the chat. I will start pulling them up uh, from Sager. Uh, have you guys watched any of the clips from the Lincoln Riley interview? Oh, I'm sorry. So we mentioned this already. It's worth a watch and provides a behind the scenes view into his life and move out west. So we talked about this kind of at the top of the show. I do want to see it though. You you watched? Have you watched much of it or like how much? A, a little bit, but not the whole thing. Okay, I need to watch more of it. it. It's interesting. I don't know if they've released the whole conversation right now. It's just like four or five five minute little videos. I don't know how this guy does his show. I recognize him, like I said, but I didn't recognize. I recognize his face, but not his name. Um, but clearly, he does a really good job. So I will watch all those, and I think next show we can definitely talk about it. Eddie from Orange. How much NIL will it cost to have Connor stop shaving the rest of the season? Need to see how long that b bad boy can get. Hey, everyone has a price, including me. So if right. the offer is good enough, I will gladly not shave for a uh, long time. But I don't know. Would I get fired if I took money for, for not shaving? Would you have a problem? No, nah, I don't that? care. Like, go ahead. Let's do super chat. Like, uh, you want a super chat? <laughs> well, will I get the super chat? <laughs> yeah, I'll give you the super chat. Well, YouTube takes like 30%. But outside of that. Let's do it over Venmo. Yeah. If you guys want a super chat, and we'll put a poll. Like, do you have a number? Like, if you get up to like a thousand dollars, you'll uh, you'll see. So, I mean, you don't have to spend too much time on this. Would it be until USC like their season's over, or like lose a game, or the rest? It says rest of the season. So, so okay, so rest of the season that could stretch that could into be January. Yeah, January, and it's September thirteenth. I'd say this is probably too much money for some people. $3,000. If you said you could have 3000 right now to not shave wow. until January, I, I would do that. It's a lot of money because it's kind of annoying having a beard. It itches a lot when it gets that, that long. So yeah, $3,000, not a cent less. Okay. <laughs> I, everybody has a price. I love it. Um, we got one from uh, Sunday. Uh, what happened to Traquan Fagans? I think when he got here, he was a little banged up. And USC, it seemed like they were already set in their cornerback rotations. It looks like he is going to play corner. Alex Grinch did say that the bye week will give them a chance to evaluate guys who they haven't evaluated yet. So, so maybe I, I yeah. thought of Traquan Fagans, but I don't think he has much of a role this year. And maybe next year, you know, I don't know. He, he His transfer was, I, I thought, was kind of interesting. I didn't think they really needed a defensive back. Like a corner, yeah. I thought if anyone you would bring in a safety to compete with Max Williams or, uh, you know, those other guys there. But I, I don't know. I, I I don't think we'll see him too much. Okay, uh, David says uh, Ryan, do you think the USC defense will be ready for Cam and Keefe? And how much do you think USC drops on Utah? Okay, so we're looking ahead a little bit. 
Well, well, Cam be ready for USC is the better question. Right. Like, neither of those guys have played yet. So, um, I think the USC defense looks as ready as you could have, as I, I mean, better than I expected. Um, you know, they've played some good tight ends that weren't, they were able to take away stuff that opponents were able to, you know, have done against other opponents and it's early in the season and, and they've all been overmatched, but I feel like Utah's a different team on the road, um, without Cam and Keefe, they didn't look that good. Uh, and they end up getting the win, uh, you know, at Baylor. They, it was a good win against Florida for sure, but looking at Utah, it just didn't seem like it was the same thing. And they they have struggled on the road, so I feel like coming into the Coliseum, it's not going to be the same thing as playing in Vegas, where there's a ton of Utah people, or playing in Salt Lake City, obviously, where the the crowd was crazy. And I don't know if can't you know the fact that I mean he got hurt in January, you know, so to come back as early, you know, he was at Pac-12 Media Day. He hasn't played yet. It's one of those things that it's not like you're coming back off of a, you know, nine month rehab from knee surgery. And, you know, I just need one more week or two more weeks. Like the fact that you missed when he missed week one, I was questioning for the whole season and maybe it's going to be mid season. Maybe it's the USC game. He comes back. I don't know, but it just seems like when you're, you know, the knee injury didn't happen that long ago. And whenever we've seen this, when a guy's missing time early in the season from like a, a an injury that was a while ago, it's usually not because like we were, you know, it was, this is a 40 week injury. We just need, and we're in week 39. Like you're missing, you know, week 40 is, is are you coming back week 50? Is it 45? Like it's usually not one or two weeks later. So we haven't seen him yet. Um, but I think even if he say comes back this week and starts playing and got a few games under his belt. I think USC's defense is as ready as they've been, and they'll have the advantage of being at home where Utah's not been as good on the road. Utah will definitely challenge USC. They beat him twice last year. Kyle Whittingham, you could make the argument, is the best coach in the Pac-12 because he does more with so much less. Them losing a couple of their NFL guys from last year, though, I feel like Utah losing their NFL players hurts a lot more than USC losing their NFL players because USC can reload via the transfer portal (laughs) and recruiting much quicker than a Utah can who they do an excellent job of developing guys but that development takes a little bit longer USC can get guys who can contribute right away and Utah can too but USC does it to a larger degree so Dalton Kincaid going the NFL Clark Phillips the cornerback going the NFL rising being hurt I don't know what the spread is I, I don't know if rising will be healthy USC like Utah can beat the team who maybe has a little bit more talent than them and they'll just, they're so well coached, they can beat them. But when the talent gap is huge, what do we see in the Rose Bowl last year? What do we see in the Rose Bowl the year before? When the talent gap is massive on a neutral field or away, Utah isn't as good. I think Utah will have a tough time with USC this year. I, I think USC wins that game fairly big. And if Rising is 100%, that might change things. I think his injury, though, of course, plays a huge factor, too. Yeah, there's a huge drop off after him. I mean, they had to bench Barnes and uh, put in. Nate Robinson and it's just, uh, that's Nate Johnson. Nate I Johnson. Think. Sorry. I got him mixed up with another Nate. Uh, next question. Uh, the, I agree with you there, Connor. Nick says, what is the first game this season in which USC scores less than 50? Let me pull up the schedule. I love this. Okay. So coming <laughs> Notre up, Dame, I think. So I think Arizona State is going to be overmatched and USC scores 50 on the road. Not easy to do 50 on the road, but. In Tempe, I feel like USC can do that. Colorado's defense hasn't been great. 
USC might run the ball more. But if I had to bet right now, they're going to put a 50-burger up on, on Prime. Uh, and there might be a lot of hype around that game. And there's probably even more reason. Lincoln Riley looked determined to score against Stanford. Like, he was just like, okay, we're going to do this. I feel like Colorado, 50-burger. Arizona, um, high-powered offense, a lot of p- turnover potential. You could get some short fields. This is at home. I feel 50-burger. I'm with you. I feel pretty confident of the 50-burger there. Jay Delora, I think he'll score a bunch of points, which makes USC score a bunch of points, but he'll also throw a bunch of balls to the USC secondary and then score a bunch of points off of that. Then at Notre Dame is the one where, you know, I wouldn't predict them scoring 50. Like, it's not not that they couldn't. I think they could score 50 on anybody. Anyone on their schedule, they could put 50 up. But if I had to, like, bet and there were some reasonable, like, odds on – making it so far. I feel like Notre Dame would be the first one. It would be the coin flip. If it was a coin flip or it would be less than 50% that they would score 50 on Notre Dame. I feel all the other games, they would be a favorite to score 50 in. The Notre Dame game is going to be huge for Marcus Freeman, their head coach, defensive coordinator, defensive guy, year two. Let's see what you got against arguably the best offense in the country. I think as things go on, we'll see USC clearly is the best offense in the country. Um, but right now, it's so early, don't want to say that definitively. Huge game for the Notre Dame head coach. That is going to be a fascinating matchup. I can't wait for it. Yeah, there's a lot of great ones uh, on the schedule. Unlike Texas, they don't have any. Flacky <laughs> um, Chan, three, so his question is, three games in, who would you give the MVP on both offense, not Caleb, and defense? Where are you going? I mean, it's Caleb, but yeah. not Caleb. Um Hmm. It's just so hard. Like, can you give it to a lineman? I think Jonah Monheim's been excellent. That seems like kind of a cop-out. But when they spread the ball around so much, and Marshawn Lloyd and Austin Jones are pretty dead split with the 50-50 on those carries, and we're seeing so many of the reserves. I'd And, and Justin Dietrich, who, as a center, maybe you could make an argument for he had a bad game against Nevada. So I, I guess I'd give it to Jonah Monheim, and then I think you have to give it to Bear Alexander on the defensive side, even though Alex Grinch said Solomon Bird has been the MVP three weeks in. Yeah, um, that's interesting. I think it's Caleb Williams. Yeah. <laughs> the second leading receiver is the guy that plays in the fourth quarter, Deuce Robinson. Oh, maybe Zachariah Branch, but he does so much on special Yeah, teams. he's not the MVP. Like, there's, there's the definition of MVP doesn't exist. Like, it doesn't exist on this team. Who, the mo- if maybe all, Jonah Monheim. Yeah, like, exactly. The most valuable on offense, if you lost this player, you know, you'd be in trouble. Caleb, of course, is in his own stratosphere. And then I think the argument is Jonas to lose as the second guy on offense. Yeah, you know? I would go there um, because there's only, yeah, you take away the only real answer, which is boring because that's the obvious one, but that's where it is. Yeah, I'd go, I mean, Bear, I love that, you know, sometimes the coaches have come up with the weird ones like, uh, Kyron Hudson was like MVP of camp. And you're like, oh, okay. I don't even mention yeah, that guy. Yeah, yeah. On uh, the Zoom, Lincoln Riley said that. Everyone was like, what? how come you haven't been saying that for the previous <laughs> Yeah, we haven't heard anything about yeah. him. Um, yeah, I think, I think I would just go with Bear Alexander because I think the defense in general is playing so much better. And it, it just helps. It's like Magic Johnson being your point guard or whatever. Like he's just going to make everybody's jobs easier. He just seems to make everything easier when you have to account for him and he's like 
he's screwing things up. Like Mike Tyson's, you know, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. <laughs> he punches you in the mouth and then sort of was like, what's going on? And then, you know, oh, uh, Jamil Muhammad or uh, uh, Solomon Burt, like they get a, a tackle for a loss or they get a sack or Max Williams picks off the pass, you know, and, but it kind of all started with what Bear was doing up front and it allows the linebackers to make plays and things like that. So I, I think I would agree with Bear on that one. Uh, we got a couple more uh, from Poppy. I'm not going to say the first part of his name. <laughs> do you guys think we actually use a tight end ever in this offense? What do you mean? Lake McCree just got a touchdown. Yeah, if not against our first three opponents, when? Lake McCree has more catches than like Dorian Singer. Lake he's, McCree's good. He's, he's, they're using the tight ends more than they were last year for sure. He's... I think he has, what, eight catches and he had 10 last year or something? And eight catches on eight targets. So when Caleb looks for him, he's bringing it in. Yeah. Um, no. So, yeah, I, I would say I get it, but they are using the tight ends more. I'd like to see sort of like down the seam, like sort of like a, a, a release, like the plays you would use in like Madden where the tight end just streaks down the middle or whatever. Like, are you really nitpicking the offense right now, Ryan? No, I would say <laughs> that'd be cool to see because there are a lot of those out stuff or whatever, but he's, he's being used. He's, he's like I said, he's got more catches than a bunch of wide receivers. So. They don't have much depth there, but behind him, it's not really pretty, but they're using Lake a lot. I thought Jude Wolf would be like a bigger role, but I don't and know. He's we'll playing like 13 snaps and his PFF grades have not been very pretty. Oh, they're so not. Far. All right, Nick says, odds that Washington loses this week. They're like a two-touchdown-plus favorite, and I think they're going to blow blow them out. Um, Mel Tucker suspended. It's Michigan State's not that good to start with. I, yeah, That's I think, a tough pay, place to play, though, I will say that. It is, but I think my guess is that uh, Washington rolls. Uh, when I do my Pac-12 picks – I think I forget what the spread was, but it was sixteen. Like, I'm sorry. Is it sixteen? Yeah, I'm taking. I'm taking that. I'm. I'm giving the laying the points for Washington. I feel like they're going to go into East Lansing and just um, beat some ass. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say ten percent. East Lansing, tough place to play. I wonder what the crowd will look like. Like, if you're a big Michigan State fan, how can you not be let down by your head coach? Maybe this is the game. You're like, okay, we kind of stink. Our coach really messed up. I'm not going to this game anymore. So I wonder if the crowd will maybe not be as big as I anticipate. I think, don't they play on grass too? And there's something where if you play on grass versus turf, that Washington was preparing to play on grass. If I have that wrong, let me know. So maybe that's a wrinkle, but I don't give them a great shot. It is a tough place to play. I'll say 10%. Okay. Um, we had a couple nominations for Taj Washington. For MVP? Uh, MVP, yeah. Like he's the uh, leading you, you receiver. You can't but... have a receiver be MVP because – it's just anyone if if one guy goes out it's like what's it called when you can just regrow like if, if you're a tree and a branch gets broken off you just like regenerate yeah, yeah they'll just the next guy comes they right would on. regenerate taj washington exactly. if he was cut off exactly yeah. mario williams boom yeah although taj prepares really well and i don't know if other receivers do but, right you know but there's just so many dudes it's yeah. like hard to be like if that's yeah. how can that be your mvp okay uh last one hector I uh, said, uh, did you mention, he wants me to know, if I mentioned Stanford as a false positive or not? So this was before your time, Connor. This was kind of a thing. Because we talked about Stanford and USC playing early, sometimes, you know, you get an out-of-conference game, maybe it's crappy, you don't really know how good the team is. Then USC plays Stanford and say they get a big win. 
and you're like, oh, wow, USC is going to be great. And it could be like this false positive. And they, they really weren't. And they kind of stunk the rest of the season. But they sort of peaked early against Stanford. So that was like a thing. Hector, I would say that's not a thing anymore. Like Stanford's, I mean, they're just straight ass right now. They're bad. <laughs> so Stanford's butt. That's what I've been saying. Remember, I, like, I think I said this. It was a couple years ago. I said Stanford was butt. And then they went out and beat Oregon. And everyone was like, oh, Stanford's butt. And then they lost. Like, they went, they finished three and nine. And so I think this was like two years ago. And people were getting on me that I said Stanford's butt. And then they beat Oregon. And it was like the fluky thing. Oregon's offensive coordinator was out sick. or It was something, something weird. But they were bad. Stanford's just been too bad. There's no false positive there. Like, you're not feeling good about yourself beating a team 56 to 10 like they're just bad i thought they'd be better under troy taylor but like towards the end of the david shaw era so i don't i think the whole stanford is a false positive thing doesn't exist anymore because you're not feeling like this is a so stanford was like this bruising team that was tough that would push you around and try to beat you up and if you get a win you like feel good about it like that's not the stanford team so i would say no that's 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 the that that's something that we we used a few years ago, but I don't, I don't think applies anymore. I totally agree. Forty nine to three at halftime. That's not easy to do, even though USC made it look really easy. I just think this team is really good, and like I've said all week, what they did against Stanford made me think that they're even better than I thought going into the year. Stanford stinks, yeah, but to beat a team the way USC beat Stanford, that isn't any ordinary team. You got to be a great team to do what they did. I do not think it's a false positive. Um. Cameron says, 2021 when USC fired Clay Helton, and he said, greatest Ryan Abraham take of all time. Uh, I wish I was on that show. I don't remember uh, what that was. So I, we'll, we'll put one more question up. So Cameron, tell me which take you're talking about. <laughs> you were um, like, good riddance. No, I mean, I'd people were like, oh, you're too nice. And I liked Clay Helton. He was a nice person. And they're like, yo, you're defending him. I'm like, I'm not defending him. I mean, I wrote a story, I think it was 2018, that was like, USC needs to fire Clay Helton. And I had to go to practice and talk to him and stuff. But I wrote like, this is not, USC deserves better than this. And so people were getting mad. I'd send them that article. I'm like, I don't know what you want. I wrote that he, they should fire him. So two years ago. So what do you, what do you want from me? Um, we did have one. Let's see. Where's that question? I'm just missing it. Uh, oh, okay. John. Walker says, do you think Notre Dame enters the USC game with one loss or do they come in undefeated uh, with their upcoming game against Ohio State? Uh, yeah, I think it's um, – yeah, I think they're going to lose to Ohio State. Although Ohio State doesn't look great. Yeah, I agree. They could lose to Duke too. Duke's really good. Duke is good, uh, but Clemson looks pretty bad. So they beat Clemson, but I don't know. We'll see. It's, that game's at Duke, the Ohio State games at Notre Dame. Ohio State, to me, looks gettable this year. They this they look more gettable. Um, but I don't know. I, I find it hard to believe Ohio State and Duke. Like To me, that's a one-and-one one at best, I think. Okay. Uh, LFG says, Ryan said that on the podcast of Champions in 21. Stanford is butt. Yes. And I got a lot oh. of flack for it. <laughs> And that's what Cameron is saying. That was my greatest take of all got time. It, Stanford got is got butt. It, it. And I had to like, there was one of those things where like, I said they were butt and then they beat Oregon. And you're like, see, they're not butt, they're back and blah, blah, blah. And uh, yeah, that was the team because they beat USC. 
and got Clay Helton well, fired. Well, when Clay Helton got fired and then USC beat Washington State, weren't there some fans like, here we go, like, <laughs> we're going to have a good year? Oh, my God. Well, 100%. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, so USC, um, what was I These are the, the bad times we're talking about, though, so I, I right. feel bad. People are probably like, it was hey, game two, USC loses to Stanford, and I say Stanford is butt. So, like, oh, you lost to Stanford. They fire Clay Helton. Um, all the USC fans rejoice. And I'm like, they are butt. And then then they beat Oregon. I think like the next week or something, or I mean, whatever it was. But they finished three and nine. They were butt. They were terrible. And I stuck by my thing that Stanford wasn't very good. And so people loved it. No, so Stanford beat USC, which they shouldn't have done. I said Stanford was butt. It gets Clay Helton fired, if I'm remembering all that correctly. But um, yeah. But there was like Stan- me saying just Stanford is butt became like a thing on social media and this podcast, even though I said it on the podcast of champions, everything. And it looked, let me pull up there. Um, I'm going to pull up their year that year because it was, it, it, uh, it probably wasn't very good. No, no, it was, it was <laughs> bad. So Stanford in 2021, uh, they lost to Kansas state, uh, 24 to seven. And I don't, you know, whatever. They beat USC 42-28. Um, they go on the road to Vanderbilt and get a win there. Then they lose to UCLA. And then they get Oregon home and beat them. So they are like three and three and two. And people are like, are they butt? They're like, look, they do, you know, they just beat Oregon, blah, blah, blah. Then they go on and lose to Arizona State, Washington State, Washington, Utah, Oregon State, Cal, and Notre Dame. Cal, they lost 41 to 11. Notre Dame, they lost 45 to 14. Utah, they lost 52 to 7. Um, yeah, it, they were butt. They 28 10 to, to Oregon State. They did have that high, somehow they beat Oregon. It was the weirdest thing. They were uh, an eight point underdog and they beat Oregon uh, by seven. And that was, a, if I remember, it was like Oregon, like literally, like uh, their one of their, uh, their offensive coordinator or something was. Um, was out or whatever, but it, that was a really weird one. But I stuck by my guns and said they were butt, and then they lost their last like uh, seven games or whatever it was. So or no, no, yeah, lost the last seven games. So thank you, Cameron, you're not, for you're, bringing this. Back. You're not going to get any pushback from me. Stanford <laughs> hasn't been good for years. No, they're pretty bad. So that's why they can't be a false positive because they're just they're butt now. So when they were good or decent or you weren't sure, sometimes Stanford would you like you think they're going to be bad and then they're like better than they were going to be, or you think they're going to be good and they weren't as good. So like USC would go into the season and like if they beat Stanford, you're like, oh, USC is going to be pretty good. And they weren't that good because Stanford wasn't that good. So no more false positive or whatever. All right. Well, let's uh, wrap things up here. We got to get Connor off to uh, practice. So yeah, I got to get out of here. Yeah, I got to get out of here. All right. So that is uh, Connor Morissette. I am Ryan Abraham. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Connor, you want to give like a thumbs up for the, uh, the screenshot? Yeah. All right. And we will talk to you next time. Trader Joe's in Southern California. We go way back. Kind of like USC football. In, in, in the beginning, it was so bad that uh, Dave Hetzel and I took turns dressed in a gorilla suit, flagging people in. That's from episode one of Inside Trader Joe's. We hope you'll check it out. Or some of our other podcast episodes about the past, present, and future of Trader Joe's. And all those cool products. Inside Trader Joe's is available wherever you listen to podcasts. 
You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 